1: We have got a sneak peek of this week's Dale Jr. download, which features a special guest who had quite the history at Bristol with Dale Sr. It is time to revisit Sunday's race in the Irish Hills. It was a special celebration for the whole Harvard family, but we are going to hear how the whole race went down with Scanall, Michigan. And anything can and usually does happen at the world's fastest half mile. Can a new face make the trip to Victory Lane, or will Kyle Bush bring out the broom again?
2: Bush, get out the broom! You just swept at Bristol. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah,
0: take that,
2: get oh, Man,
3: whenever you're able to, to win races at the Bristol Night Race, uh, I've I've won there before. Everybody's like right up on top of you, and the stadium aspect of it, it's just the sound kind of magnifies and just gets extra loud and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool doing whether it's cool things or not so cool things, and they get cheered or booed when it's when it's all said and done. Hold up the three fingers.
0: So proud of Nation, this one's for you. Obviously, the fans love it. There are some boos. I wouldn't kind of feed off that, don't you? I don't care. Make the noise.
4: Who cares? When you're feeding
3: off the fans and giving them a show after it's all said and done, it means a little bit more. It's a bit more fun.
1: <laughs> we are getting into Bristol today. Welcome to NASCAR America, everybody. Kyle Busch has seven cup wins there. He swept the cup, Xfinity, and Trucks race last August. Jeff Burton, is he the man to beat this weekend? Me? The
5: man to beat or Kyle? <laughs> yeah,
1: I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I
5: think there's no question that Kyle Busch is the man to beat. I, I, You know, when you look at what Kyle Busch has done at Bristol, he leads all active drivers and wins. Uh, and then if you look at his short track finishes this year, it's like average of 2.3 or something. I mean, it's ridiculous. 1.3. I'm sorry, 1.3. So they got that short track thing going on. He's exceptionally good at Bristol. And by the way, One of the other big three won last week. So we've seen all year long when one of those guys wins, the other guys step up. So now you're going to what could be his best racetrack after a weekend where he got beaten. Yeah, I think Kyle Busch, without a doubt, is a man to beat.
6: Yeah, definitely so. Seven wins, the most of any active driver. 21 wins across all three divisions. When you look at that number alone and then the short track season that he's having, uh, you know, I want to do like Kyle Busch. I just want to put my hand up to my ear and say – Bring it. Don't sing it, dude. You're going to have to come take it from me because I got it.
1: You know what? Dale Jarrett's been saying all week that Bristol this weekend is really the last wild card race on the schedule before the playoffs. So let's do a little tale of the tape now. And let's actually start with Kyle Larson, finished second to Kyle Busch in the spring race at Bristol. And Ryan Blaney, who led 100 laps there in the spring, what do you think?
6: Well, you know, I would like to, to talk about Kyle Larson. Uh, but Kyle Larson's been MIA since Chicago, as far as I'm concerned. I've not really seen that team or Kyle do anything much on the racetrack. Now, he says Bristol is one of his favorite tracks. But I look at Ryan Blaney, and Ryan Blaney has been incredibly impressive all year long. Running in the top five, uh, running up, leading laps. Uh, Pretty good night race up there a couple years. gotten a wreck a couple of times up there. That's going to happen in Bristol. That's part of it. So if I'm going to head-to-head with these two, I'm going to have to go with Blaney and the Pinsky organization right now. Uh, and Kyle's going to have to prove to me that he he can show up.
1: Jeff, what do you think?
5: I like this bet. This would be a great bet to make because it's a, it's a really cool matchup. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to pick Kyle Larson. He's led over 400 laps in the last three races. Uh, he led a lot of laps there in the spring. And I think this is the kind of racetrack where, you know, I think part of the problem with the Chevrolet teams has been aerodynamics. And I know aero matters at Bristol, but not as much as it does in Michigan. It's going to matter much less. So I think with the kind of driving style that he has, the fact that the groove's going to move around from the bottom to the top, uh, and his past performances in the last three races at Bristol. I'm going to go with Kyle Larson between those two.
6: Yeah, and listen, he, he might sway me a little bit, but the Dairy Association called, and they're looking to put Kyle Larson on milk, box, milk cans all over their Milk boxes, <laughs> yeah, cartons milk all, all over the country. Because he's, he's not showing up. He's I don't mixing. care. Okay. So I, I, okay. I, I, I do agree with the moving around part, though. I'll give you that. All
1: right. What about uh, two drivers next who actually have the big three for teammates? I'm talking about Denny Hamlin and uh, let's get Kurt Busch up there as well. These two drivers just just haven't been able to find what some of their teammates have found. What do you think about this matchup?
6: Mm, this is interesting. Okay, these two guys um, over the last four races have won the poll three times. Denny has back-to-back polls. My man Kurt here at New Hampshire. Um, I think that their teammates, Kyle Bush, Kevin Harvick, cast a long shadow. Mm-hmm. These guys have got to turn that speed that we've seen in qualifying into something on the racetrack. I love the way Denny runs Bristol. I love that Kurt Busch has won there before, but this is a tough place. This is not a place you just go and turn your season around. Yes, they've had speed, but just as we heard Jeff talk a minute ago about the Chevys and the aero part of it, this is about a lot of different things, not just about speed when you go
1: to Bristol. Who do you see in this matchup, Jeff? Well, I think this is a great driver
5: matchup, but I'm going to go to the teams. And I think at Bristol, I think Joe gibbs Racing. Uh, is a better team than Stuart Haas. So I'm gonna go with with I'm gonna go with Hamlin because I just think that uh, you know, it does matter how your team performs, it does matter overall. And if you look at the number of laps and the number of poles and all the things that Joe Gibbs racing has done at Bristol, and you look at Denny Hamlin, I think although it's not been as good as his teammate, it's still running the best that he's run all year long. So I think if I'm gonna pick somebody uh, going to this racetrack and how good Denny is at a short track, and Kurt really has not been effective on short tracks this year. I'm going to have to go with Denny Hammond <laughs> just because of momentum. You know, I think they've got momentum. Say, You can make the same argument from Bush. This is another really good matchup, but I would have to go with Hammond. But, Kyle, you're right. Like, we can talk about all this, but you think about all the cautions at Bristol, all the wrecks that have at Bristol. Yeah. You know, who knows what's going to happen, but I think the 11 will run in front, front of the 41.
6: The only thing that the 41 has going for it right now, and I will say this with, with – with, Kurt Busch, is the rumor mill started that he's not going to be there next year, that he may be somewhere else. This man, when his name is in the rumor mill and he starts talking about switching rides or they start talking about firing him or letting him go someplace else, whatever maybe picks up his game. We see drivers do that all the time, so he may pick it up this weekend.
5: Okay, let's go outside. I think, Kyle, uh, Kyle that, was, that was a really good point, and I hadn't thought of that. And I think that Kurt is one of those drivers that just – that, that isn't a distraction to him. He, don't, he doesn't care. Throughout his whole career, he's been in the middle of turmoil, and he still comes out and performs. You made me think about something I hadn't thought about, and that is a really good point because these things, this off-track stuff, this chatter does not bother this man
6: whatsoever. Yeah.
1: But you think it's big enough that it could affect his performance potentially? Picks it up. Picks it up Picks it up. Okay. Follow me. Let's go on. Set
6: your fantasy league. Follow me. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to based <laughs> on where you are right now in your fantasy league. Let's go outside the top 16. Um, two drivers who absolutely need a win. And that, I'm going to say, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and also Daniel Suarez is a potential matchup yes. this weekend. If you can pull Suarez up. When you look at a win on the line at a track like Bristol for these two drivers, who are you taking?
6: That's tough. That That is tough. They talk about um, – Ricky Stenhouse, one of his favorite tracks, how well he runs there. Um, A lot of different things when you look at it. Um, But he's not led laps there. He's just finished in the top five. We're talking these two guys, they've got to be in victory lane. They've got to win. They're not going to point their way in. Daniel, you know – He's getting better. He's coming off three really good runs at Pocono, at Watkins Glen, uh, and a pretty good run at Michigan. Uh, Two two top fives and one top, almost into the top ten there. Um, And we've seen guys from road racing backgrounds and stuff come to Bristol and make it their home. We saw Marcus Ambrose and some of those guys. I'm going to go with Suarez in this one. I just think the same reason that that Jeff a minute ago took the Gibbs organization, I'm going to take the Gibbs organization over the Roush organization.
5: Jeff, I agree. Uh, we, we're going to agree on this one, Kyle. I just think that you know everybody talks about how good Kyle, how good Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is at Bristol, and he is good at Bristol. But the fact of the matter is that he has not led no laps there, and so uh, you know they just haven't had cars that can win races. They haven't put themselves in enough, op- given themselves enough opportunities to win races. I don't see why that would change this weekend. Now you never know. They've been working very hard. But just like you said, just check out Joe Gibbs Racing and check out the the speed that they have every time they go to Bristol. The number of poles, the number of wins, and then you add on top of that. Daniel Suarez is starting to run better. Starting to you're starting to see him more in the top ten. You're starting to see him in practice speeds creep up to the top of the board. So I think that I think for me, I got to go with Suarez uh, because of his recent performance and because of Gibbs past history. At this racetrack, I definitely got to go with Suarez.
6: Yeah. The only one thing, I'm going to add one little asterisk here. Um, I think when we look at at, uh, Ricky Stenhouse, we go back to Daytona. Everybody, he was the chatter going into Daytona. Can win. Got to win. Going to win. Drove incredibly aggressive. And we see some of the the byproduct of of that aggressiveness there. Bristol is a place you've got to be aggressive. You've got to be on the offense the whole time. Can he make something happen? Will he make something happen? Put in the same position, is he listening to the chatter this week saying, i got to go to Bristol and make something happen? Will we see either one of these guys be as aggressive as we saw the race at Daytona? There
1: was a little backlash from his performance there, though, yeah. that he was too aggressive. A lot of drivers had a problem with the way that he raced there. Do you think that that's going to hinder him in any way no. at a track like this, or is that completely out of his mind?
6: You li- Listen, it's... There's things that happen to you at Bristol that you expect from other drivers. You don't get as upset about. You don't get as mad about. You expect guys to lean on you, guys to run into you, guys to block, guys to chop across your hood. That's an expectation on the short track. So um, I think what we saw at Daytona was a little bit out of character, but if he applies that same thing here, if he's in position, we know that guys are not afraid to spin the guy in front of them to win a race.
5: Jeff, last word? Well, so so my opinion is that... uh, I think that both of these teams and both of these drivers go to Bristol knowing if they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to have to win. I mean, they're, I guess mathematically they can still get it on points, but if you look at how they run and the number of average points that they get compared to Alex Bowman, like, I just don't see it happening. I don't think the, they're going to point their way in. So now you have two drivers going to a half-mile racetrack being exceptionally aggressive with crew chiefs being exceptionally aggressive in calls that they're gonna make. And I think for these two it makes it a little harder call than it did for the previous four. Because the previous four we talked about, they're in the playoffs. They're they're gonna move on. These two are not if they don't get a win. And I think that, that you mentioned it, you know, Ricky at Daytona, uh will will, you know, will they try to ratchet it up? Will the team try to ratchet it up? How much aggressiveness are they gonna to bring together? And this is an opportunity to do that more so than Then at Darlington, I think. Yeah. Uh, Indy's a place where fuel mileage and that kind of strategy could, could, you know, you could do something crazy there. But, you know, there's not that many chances, and I think you're going to see them rolling the dice.
6: That's why it's the last great coliseum.
1: I hope everything you said means one thing. Great racing this Great weekend, racing. yeah, yes. and I think we might get just that. I'm um, still to come on the show today. A conversation about whether racing fans have become too territorial when it comes to Cup drivers exploring all forms of motorsports. Where do you stand on that? Plus, what you missed at Michigan. We're going to open up all of the radios from the Irish Hills with we'll scan all Michigan when we come back.
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection, proven protection for twenty thousand miles.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This from the Twitter account NASCAR Chasm. You may follow him; he's pretty funny. A suggestion for a new race sticker. And I am sure that it has felt that way at times for the rest of the field. Most recently, with the way that Kevin Harvick performed over this past weekend. So let's go back to Sunday and listen in with Scanall Michigan now.
2: Beautiful day today here at Brooklyn, Michigan, and what a great view! This track just packed with campers and fans, and we're racing in the Irish Hills of Michigan.
6: Twenty to three,
2: sideways
6: out of nowhere. That's all we saw it. Hold on to it, hold on to it, lock it down, hold it out. Spin coming out of turn four. f***ing handball, dude. The I touch that seam at
2: 3-4, I'll be just gone. I mean, even running up above it, though. I'm almost crashing every lap up there.
6: Oh, trouble! Martin Truex Jr. gets tagged! He's gonna spin! Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. He's freaking
2: reckless. Oh, he's f***ing doing? The second time he did that,
3: turned down your door, took the air off. There's not much we can do. 78 figured out you can't be on everybody's door every lap. No kidding. What the? Man, every restart, right
4: on my door. And Kevin Harvick has scored his 11th stage win of 2018. Three, two, one. Wait, my look out, look out,
2: look out, look out. A spin right behind him. Almond Diggers spins the 47. Just kid turned around.
3: Can we, we're, I'm in the box, right? What you're on the hose on the right side. You're on the hose. You hit me. The 95. Reason why he stopped in the middle of the I mean I'm on the furthest right side of pit road and he just stopped.
6: Yeah, 10-4. I saw it. There's nothing you did wrong there.
2: Three wide for the lead and the 18 squirts out in front. a
6: am
2: gonna have no mercy on that 18. And Eric oh. Hill is trying to keep it out of the wall. He's
6: I'm so pissed off right now. I I have got a calm down. That's what I gotta do. I think the two
3: thousand seventeen version of Eric Jones showed up today. But not alone. That kid is out of control. If they went for side drafting, he would be uh, running thirtieth every week. Kevin
6: Harvick right on by and he'll take the lead in Michigan once again.
4: You probably saw it. Seventy eight's been pretty bad today since
6: Maybe the 78 is going to try to stretch his fuel tank. It's going to be impressive. Talk about fuel economy. Oh, is that Not good enough. What do you
0: born? Gene Lombard? Can't understand you. What do you want me to do? Just keep saving gas. I'm trying to tell you we need to save a lot. i will kinda tell you. Running
6: out. You hear it running out now. Running out. I'm coming to you. I'm done. Martin Trex, hands up. Why? Why are we taking this risk? What a day. Yep, Sorry. It'll be
2: Kevin Harvick sweeping stage one and stage two. Three wide here. Oh, look out. Contact. Logano gets loose on the bottom.
6: All right, no harm, no foul. Take a breath here. Look ahead. Be
3: ready. Looks like the 22 slammed our left rear. Oh, Holy. There was something on the back straightaway. I saw it. One car up and into the
5: outside wall. It is Ty Dillon. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You all right? Stay up.
4: Yeah, I hit a
5: piece of lead in the
4: middle of the back stretch
5: oh he ran over something
4: what the heck when they hit it it exploded so i don't think a piece of lead would do that
5: yeah so me and the 42 swerved to miss it on that last five i don't know what it was whatever it was it was solid you know what it might
4: have been It's a battery
2: oh
5: yeah
4: Yeah, it could have been
2: a battery i've lost power here power the battery is the battery there
5: the battery the battery is gone Battery's
6: gone Battery's gone out of 66. It may be out there
4: somewhere.
6: Find it. pretty good safety aspect. It looks like there's
0: another piece out here. Seven left to go. Next time,
6: bye. Have a vibration.
3: Some of the other guys have had vibrations in the wheels, haven't been loose. Keep digging. Yeah, it's gonna come off on the straightaway right
2: now. bring it up. Austin Dillon. Picking things up for the entire organization as he runs second.
5: You know what you're doing, man. Anything can happen here. White flag at the line. And guys, it just started vibrating
0: like crazy. And a flat. For the seventh time this season, Kevin Harvick has picked up the victory. He didn't just win the race. He won every stage. Great job,
2: guys. Awesome weekend. Thank you so
6: much. Great job. Have a job, man. Have a job.
2: Keelan Harvick just dominated
6: at Michigan.
1: Moment to remember for Keelan there. Jeff, what's the craziest thing you've ever hit on a racetrack?
5: Um, Probably a bird. I hit uh, (laughs) one day at Indianapolis. I I hit a bird, and it was on TV, and it wasn't a pretty sight. It was, uh, let's just say they disintegrated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one not good,
6: Carolyn. What about you? Listen, I've hit so much on a racetrack, it's hard to really pick one. I, I will say this. So I'm running Darlington, and, and, and Jeff can relate to this. I'm running Darlington, and I see something bouncing across the racetrack. I run over it. Boom, blow a right front tire, hit the wall, drag it back to the garage area, um, and we're working on our car. And Hippie, kid that used to work for Jimmy Means, comes running down there and he's like, hey, we lost a dust cap off the rear of our car. Do you know, we, we need to borrow one. If you're not going back out there, can we take one off your car? I ran over his dust cap.
4: That was <laughs> no. the whole point.
6: That's what put me out of the race. Oh, no.
1: Well, Kevin Harvick didn't uh, run over anything. He kept it pretty clean over the weekend. Uh, this weekend, the 44th win of his career, tying Bill Elliott on the all-time list. Earlier today, it was Bill, though, that revealed his paint scheme for Road America next weekend. Similar to the number 11 car he drove for Junior Johnson from 1992 to 1994.
6: You like it? I do like it. I do. Yeah. I like it The Bill Elliott's coming back. I like so do that I. As That much is going to be a
1: scene in just about a week or so's time. Um, earlier today, Chris Busher unveiled his throwback scheme for this year's Southern 500 at Darlington as well. So his colors will honor primary sponsor Bush's Beans' 110-year anniversary, which is really incredible. Um, scheme resembles a can and a logo from the early days where it all began as a tomato cannery plant. Before producing those beans, you like this one too?
6: Uh, it's white. I like it.
1: Dave Burns spoke <laughs> with Busher about the special ride.
2: Okay, well, and you can see I've already raided the throwback apparel closet, so we're getting set, and Chris Busher's getting set too. What are you guys bringing to the party here?
3: Yeah, you're uh, you're a little more more prepared than I am, but uh, yeah, we're proud to announce that we'll have uh, Bush's best on board for uh, for Darlington Throwback Weekend. It's our uh, Bush's best since 1908 paint scheme. So. Um, very good looking. Uh, kind of a throwback to their, uh, it's a 110 year anniversary for them. So, throwback. Uh, this is kind of stylized after the 1930s and 40s cans that they had. Um, very, uh, very clean looking. It's got uh, got some metallic gold in, in the numbers. Uh, very good looking race car. And looking forward to getting back to uh, one of my favorite racetracks.
2: I was going to ask you about that. What is your relationship these days with the Track too Tough to Tame?
3: <laughs> I, uh, it's complicated. I really, I really like her. And um, I feel like she gives me a little kickback every now and then. So uh, it's, a, it's a good racetrack. Um, one of my favorites, right right up there at the uh, top three. Um, and we've had good runs there, and I've had tough days there. So it's uh, trying to get a little bit of consistency out of it. it uh, Always ends up with a stripe, but that's to be expected. It's just a matter of not doing too much more than that.
2: And as you go there with Throwback Weekend, the fans get into it, you all get into it. What type of weekend is that for you as a competitor? It's awesome.
3: Uh, it's awesome to see what it's evolved into, how big it's grown. Uh, the first time I did it, I don't even know how many years ago now, but it was it was really cool to see. But then to see it keep growing and to see people get more into it with the apparel, with the the team uniforms, with the throwback paint schemes, all the way to uh, to some crazy crazy hairstyles that we we see come out of the woodworks. But um, some of them better off yeah. left where they were. Right. But uh, it's just, it's so cool to see all the, the paint schemes that bring you right back. And, um, you know, a lot of them are, are before my time. But, you know, knowing a decent amount of the history of our sport, it brings you back. You know what they are. You can point them out. And it um, also makes it really hard to figure out who you're racing during the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if uh, is a cold trickle behind you or, or, or who? So uh, hard to figure out uh, with everybody being a different paint scheme. And, um, you know, sometimes makes it more interesting that way
2: talk about one of the other favorite racetracks chris also excels at the short track at bristol coming up and i know you're excited to get there why
3: it's my favorite racetrack man i love bristol uh, from the first time i went there it's been a place that uh that i enjoy we've been really fast there uh been so close to getting getting some wins there and um you know feel like it it takes a uh, takes an opportunity for some of the smaller teams to go and perform at, at a higher level you know take some of the aero advantages out and um Makes it go and work for it. it. It's a place where the line moves around a lot. You know, they've gotten the PJ one to where it's in a, a more minimal application, so that it's not trying to, to cover the entire bottom groove. Uh, it gives you options without it being a primary race groove on the bottom. Um, that goes away is the problem with that. Um, you know, it just it creates some kind of uh, some kind of atmosphere. That short track racing, beaten and bang. Uh, you know, the car never looks as good coming off the racetrack as, uh, as it did going on unless it's, uh, unless it's covered in champagne at the end.
2: There you go. Carolyn, I hope uh, you're keeping track. A lot of atmosphere tracks coming up, including Darlington, where uh, today Chris lets us know what he'll be running.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Dave, thanks. And our thanks to Chris for that as well. That was really fun. You can check out his retro scheme along with many, many others when NASCAR rolls into Darlington for Throwback Weekend. All the action starts August 31st, NASCAR America Fan Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern here on NBCSN. We love those as well. It's going to be such a great weekend. Meantime, coming up, we are stepping into the mayor's office. Over the weekend, Kyle Larson pulled double duty, taking part in the Knoxville excuse me, in Iowa on Saturday night. 42 team then did not live up to expectations on Sunday. So when is it okay for a driver to dabble in other racing series? Jeff and Kyle have some opinions on the subject when we come back. Stay with us. Nixon won a Pocono five years ago on the way to the third of his four IndyCar titles this Sunday. The goal is to keep Indy 500 champ Will power from a Pocono three-peat. So you can catch our coverage. It's at 2 Eastern. It's right here on NBCSN. Dixon, by the way, fresh off signing a multi-year contract extension with Chip Ganassi Racing. He's going to join us live on NASCAR America Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We're looking forward to having him. Um, In other racing news for you, two-time world driving champion Fernando Alonso announcing he will leave Formula One at the end of this season. In a statement that was issued, he said it's time for him to make a change and move on. It has been speculated that Alonzo will move over to IndyCar next year. He's one of the big-name drivers in motorsports that has dabbled outside of his primary racing series. And to that end, let's go to the mayor's office. So the topic du jour here is a term that was coined by our friend Pete Pistoni. Basically what he said was he wrote a little blurb on MRN, and he called it racing's civil war. And this is this notion that... NASCAR fans are hesitant to embrace the idea of cup drivers taking part in all forms of motorsports, that fans feel like NASCAR drivers belong in NASCAR. And this whole thing, Jeff, has seemingly been flamed by Kyle Larson's love of sprint car racing. So as the mayor, what is your reaction to this? Well,
5: listen, I I think there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm a NASCAR fan and I love NASCAR more than uh, dirt racing, or I'm a... I'm a sprint car fan. And I think that's the best kind of racing. You know, I like it more than NASCAR, but but I still like NASCAR because I like racing. But what's happened over the years internally in, in not just the fans, but the competitors, and it's more so the fans than the competitors, is that you have a NASCAR jersey, or you have a sprint car jersey, or you have a super late model asphalt jersey on, and that's the only thing you like. And I think that's silly. I think that you can appreciate how difficult it is to run those races at any level at any kind of racetrack. You know, if you go to a local racetrack on a Saturday night and the guy's been racing there for 10 years, you go try to beat him and that's really hard. And I don't care who you are, I don't care how much money you have, it's hard to beat a guy that has all that local knowledge. And I think the appreciation of each type of racing on each on all the different kind of racetracks, that's what should be happening. And we should have an appreciation for it. It doesn't mean you have to like it as much as you know, what your favorite form of racing is, but you shouldn't look at it and say, well, that's not what I normally like, so I just don't like it at all. I think that's not giving yourself the credit that you deserve because there's some really good racing out there in all different types of racing.
6: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think the, the term, I, th- I think it's opened up a can of worms here because I think we, we almost talk two different things. I'm a race fan. Listen, uh, I, when I was in the third grade, went to Riverside, California and saw Dan Gurney race and thought, oh, my God, that's Dan Gurney. He runs indie cars. He ran Formula One or saw Parnelli Jones, then was fortunate enough to see AJ and, and uh, Mario Andretti come south and run the cup cars and stuff. And nobody really made a big deal out of it. The difference was at that time. People drove anything, anytime, anywhere. Yes, you had open-wheel drivers. Yes, you had sprint car drivers. And yes, you had stock car drivers that drove NASCAR. And they did stay in their places. But a lot of guys branched out. Kel Yarborough, Donnie Allison, Bobby those guys run in the Indy 500. So this is something that's happened a lot. I think what we're seeing now, and the reason that we're seeing race fans take a side, that we see them take a side, is... I think we saw Chase Elliott win at Watkins Glen, one of the most popular wins that we've had in this sport in a long time. That connected to our core fan, our core base base group of fans, the older guys like me, 55, 60 years old. That connected back to us because we saw Bill run. We saw his dad come into the sport and beat Richard Petty and beat David Pearson and beat those guys. So it's like, yeah, there's Chase Elliott. He's winning. Now we see guys like Kyle Larson that come in and you say, Hey, what race would you want to win if you could win any race? Chili Bowl. Okay? I want to win a dirt race. I want to win this sprint car race. You see guys that come in that dreamed of going to Indy, that dreamed of running sprint cars, that dreamed of doing something totally different. Where I grew up dreaming of the Daytona 500. And that's been in our blood, and that's the DNA of what this sport is. You expect, as a fan, your driver to come in and say, Tell you what, the Daytona 500, Darlington, the Coca Cola 600, those are races I want to win. So I think we have a bias, or the fans have a bias sometimes, against the guy that didn't come in and dream about being here all the time. And I think that's wrong, because at heart, Kyle Larson is a racer. At heart, Tony Stewart, he didn't dream about coming to Daytona. He dreamed about going down the road and winning in Indianapolis. Jeff Gordon did the same thing. Dale Earnhardt Sr. dreamed of Daytona. And that's the fan that I'm talking about that, that Chase Elliott is connected to. So it's almost like we've got a bias against... Different forms of racing, meaning NASCAR fans more than anybody else, but we have open-wheel fans that do the same thing. But I think it's against the drivers a lot of times. I
1: want to play that, that sound that you just referenced about the Chili Bowl and the Daytona yeah. 500 from earlier on in the year. Let's listen to that really quick.
4: Chili Bowl is, is,
3: gosh, it's, you know, like I said, it's up there with, with the top races I want to win. Um, you know, and, and everybody knows Everybody knows that I, I love dirt track racing, so like for me, Chili Bowl is bigger than the Daytona 500. I know some fans <laughs> might that might bum them out or, or think that I have a bad attitude when it comes to NASCAR racing, but it's just you know I love it, and and uh, you know there's some special dirt races that I want to win, and, and Chili Bowl is one of them.
1: All right, so that's what he said. And then here's a tweet from Kyle Larson. Doesn't mean I don't want to win the Daytona 500. I was a half lap from winning last year. You can bet that I was heartbroken. I lost it. You know, am I wrong to think That if I'm a diehard NASCAR fan, Jeff, and I love Kyle Larson and I root for him every week, and I happen to know, oh by the way, this guy's making millions of dollars to race for me in NASCAR, that I am not a little bit perturbed uh, when I hear something like that.
5: Well, Carolyn, I'm going to be—I'm going to tell you—you know—I was a little offended for him saying that the chili bowl was bigger than NASCAR's biggest race. To be you know blunt about it, but when I step back, me personally. I think the Southern 500 is the biggest race of the year. You know, so, so, and that's no disrespect to the Daytona 500. I never won the Daytona 500. And if you ask me which race do I wish I would have won, that's the one because it's so prestigious and it means so much. But for me personally, the Southern 500, I grew up, I went to that race as a kid watching that race. That race, I just, it just means something to me. But, you know, I think when you are racing and you are, you know, this is your primary. Racing, You know, NASCAR uh, is your primary racing. And then you say there's another series that you'd rather win a race in. I think that some NASCAR fans did get offended by that. And to be honest, I understand why. But it doesn't mean that Kyle Larson doesn't want to win the Daytona 500. It's just telling you how much that one particular race means to him. And, and, you know, I I hear, I understand because I was offended by it. But I think, you know, for me, I had to step back a little bit and say, well, you know what? He's still here. He's st- if he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't be doing it. And, and I wanna be yeah. clear, Carolyn, Kyle Larson makes millions of dollars a year. But if Kyle Larson couldn't make millions of dollars a year, he'd still be here racing. That's
1: because fine, Jeff, but you, he makes millions he cup makes champion. millions of dollars a year, and guess what his job is? His job is to win cup races. He gets paid millions of dollars a year. And no, let me just say this, and I I can hand this off to either one of you. Last season, when he went to Knoxville Nationals, he had two cup wins, and he also won that race at Michigan. So this notion of, well, you can go and race and do whatever you want and show up at the racetrack at 2 a.m., and maybe if you have 70% in the tank and then show up, he was nowhere to be found on Sunday. So life's good if you're winning. You can play if you're winning, Jeff. But when you're not winning and you haven't won yet this season, I'm not sure that that's the savviest play when you're getting paid to win cup races.
4: Yeah.
5: But when he committed to, win, to run that race, he didn't know he wasn't going to have won any cup races. And, and him winning last year at Michigan tells me that he can do both. He's not doing it every weekend. He's doing it at select events. And if you prepare for it and you are in the shape for it and you're in race condition – then it's okay. Now I will say, if you get hurt, then yeah, you're going to catch uh, some criticism for it. But his success last year at Michigan tells me that he can do both. It's it's. I don't think he didn't run well at Michigan because he ran the race the night before. What do you think?
6: Yeah, you know what? I may not go as far as Jeff. I'm I'm not, (laughs) and I will say that because I think he gave 100, 100 percent on Sunday. But was he 100 percent when he crawled in the car from being running that dirt race? Only he knows that. We can't answer that question. Only Kyle Larson knows that. Only Chip Ganassi knows what Kyle Larson, what he's willing to let Kyle Larson do. That's their deal. We as fans step on the outside and we criticize and we look and we try to poke holes. And you're right. Winning solves everything. Winning solves everything. Kyle Larson, the money that he makes running a cup car affords him the opportunity to go run these sprint cars. Okay. He doesn't, I mean, it, it affords him. We saw Casey Kane was there. Denny Hamlin was there as spectators. Casey owns a team that won the thing, I think. So I think we see these guys go back to their roots. I'm going to say this though. I, I, I'm going to say, cause I can look at this from every angle and make an argument for pluses and minuses. And I will say Kyle Larson is a dirt fan at heart. He loves dirt racing. That's his passion. Tony Stewart was kind of the same way when it comes to dirt and the open-wheel cars, Indianapolis. Jeff Gordon grew up. That's all he wanted to do. It's a different guy. It's a Jeff Burton. It's a, it's a Harrison Burton. His son is coming along. He wants to be a stock car driver. It is a Kyle Petty. It's a Dale Earnhardt Jr. We grew up different. So we just grew up in different places. The, the advantage or the, the opportunity that a Kyle Larson or a Casey Kane or those guys have, I'll go back. Chase Elliott energized our core group of fans. Kyle Larson has the opportunity to bring new fans. A guy watches him run in Knoxville. A guy watches him run the Chili Bowl and says, hey, that's a Kyle Larson. I get to watch him run Daytona. I get to watch him run Bristol. I get to watch him. So it's a two-way street. We can take the criticism, but at the same time, we want to bring new fans to the and sport. And fans
1: should be okay with it. Jeff, last word from the mayor.
5: So, well, So, Carolyn, here's the thing. I, I think that we have lost at the cup level, we have lost a connection with the short track fans. Uh, we used to have a little better connection because the feeder series would run at short tracks around the country. And we really don't do that anymore. So I think when Kyle Larson goes and runs that race, I think that's healthy for all of motorsports. So I think he personally enjoys doing it. But, you know, Kevin Harvick was applauded for running a K&N race. Uh, other drivers are applauded when they go run events at short tracks around the country to create some of that enthusiasm. I don't think it's fair to take that away from Kyle Larson. Now, he personally wants to do it. He gets gratification for it. But the sport in general becomes healthier when everybody knows the the guys that race on Sunday. And if you go, like Kyle just said, the point Kyle just made is right. When he's there, he's building that short track connection. Casey Kane owned the winning car. That helps build that connection. And for our sport to be as big as we all want it to be, it's no different than Little League Baseball. It starts at Little League, and it goes, to, to, it goes all the way up to Major League, and everything in between. And that's what we need. We need to be strong from top to bottom. And people coming from the top and getting closer to the bottom to go run, and that's not a bottom race. Don't get me wrong. But to go, you know, to take a step down, to go do something different, I think we all benefit from that and the sport is way healthier when our big name drivers will go do it.
1: Yeah, fair point. And a really interesting topic with yeah. a lot of different layers. All right, that was the mayor's office. We're going to take a quick break and we come back to the peak of the Dale Jr. download. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. Quick social pit stop for you. Earlier today, Chase Elliott continued the Hendrick Motorsports tradition by ringing the victory bell. Chase earned Hendrick's 250th all-time win at Watkins Glen just a couple weeks ago. Nice moment for him there. Dale Jr. rang the victory bell nine times for Hendrick Motorsports. He also knows what it's like to win at Bristol. And his guest on this week's Dale Jr. Download has his share of Bristol moments, including a pair with Dale Sr. It is Hall of Famer Terry Labonte.
0: Dale Jr., I'm curious. Uh, you know, you talk about noticing Terry in eighty four when you would just go watch the race, but when did you actually know Terry? Was it when you got the cup? Did you I mean when did you guys get to know each other?
4: Uh I never I mean Terry's pretty quiet and I'm pretty quiet. I'm real uh shy, especially around, you know, the veterans, the guys that were older than me. Um the guys that were my dad's age and so forth, I kinda you know, just kept my mouth shut. But um
2: Do you remember going out to eat at New York?
4: No. We went
2: to eat up in New York City. We are up there for the banquet, and uh, Dale had these reservations at this fancy restaurant. You couldn't even read the menu. It was so fancy, you know. (laughs) And so Kim and I and Dale and Teresa and you were there. And so we were sitting there eating at this restaurant, and I remember (laughs) Dale Jr., he was just sitting there. He didn't say nothing. He just sat there the whole time. And uh, your dad asked you about something. He said, I wish we
4: could have gone to Burger
2: King. You know.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The two things that stand out to me about knowing or talking or seeing Terry for the first time, um, of course I'd watch him race forever. But I remember going to St. Louis in 1997 to race an Xfinity Series and pulled out on pit road for practice and saw his car. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal to see the Xfinity regulars and knew I was going to race against Elliot Sadler and whoever else. But when you'd see a cup guy, you'd be like, oh, Mm, my goodness, you know, and <laughs> you were there, and it was St. Louis, which wasn't a companion event, right? and you know. so it, it was hotter. Than that was the crowds. hottest
2: place, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: and so uh that tripped me out. I remember pulling on Pit Road, and that was sort of like a light bulb goes off, where like, oh, this is the real deal, serious, big time. This ain't late models at Myrtle Beach no more, and then uh, after Dad passed away, I was still wearing an open-face helmet. I wasn't wearing any of the head restraint stuff. And, uh, dad was pretty hard-headed about all that stuff, and so was I. So, I was gonna be whatever dad was. If he was hard. If he didn't like something, I didn't like it. That kind of thing. I think most sons are that way. And, it was Friday night in the bus lot, and Schrader came over to my bus and said, hey, come here. I want you to come sit in this bus with me and, uh, talk to the guys. I'm like, who? He's like, just come on. So I go in there, and it's him and Terry, and I think Rusty was in there. It was a handful—about five or six of the, of the, the dudes. You know, the real dudes. Yeah. And uh, you know, Trader's like, you "Sit down." You're in trouble at this point. I don't know what's <laughs> going. They're just in there hamming it up, talking, doing, talking. I don't know this stuff goes on. You know, I'm just sitting in my bus, you know, playing video games. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I'm oblivious, and they're all hanging out, right? And uh, I sit down on the couch next to Terry. And I ain't said a word to Terry in my life, as Mm. far as I know, you know, unless he asked me something. I don't, you know, it just, but he looked at me and he said, hey, you need to start wearing one of them head restraints. And I was like, I do. He goes, yeah, we want you to be around for a while. Mm. And I was like, wow. I I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't there another 15 (laughs) minutes. And I went out that night. Uh, I went up, got up the next day, and I went and talked to Tony Jr. and Tony Sr. I said, I'm going to get me one of the Hutchins devices. That's the first one. I didn't wear the Hans one first, so I wore the Hutchins device. Yep. I said, I'm going to start wearing one. They were like, why? I was like, Terry Labonte said I should wear one, so I'm wearing one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if Terry says to do it, I'm doing it. Wow. And those are the two moments that I remember the most. That,
2: that and the full-face helmet.
4: Yes. Yep. Yep. He said, get get in a full face. So All it took was Terry Labonte to tell you that, huh? I mean, you know, sometimes... You, you, sometimes you can't you're not clever enough to do that stuff on your own or, or you get a little hard headed about things and,
2: and when somebody you respect
4: says, Hey, this yeah. is what you need to be doing. Yeah. So that was great. Terry doing that helped meant a lot to me and um meant you know that the guys cared and the guys look after you. I think they looked after all the drivers like that, all the younger guys and probably gave them tons of advice. So do you remember really that neat. Terry? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. I knew if he's a hard headed like his dad. Yeah. That he wasn't going was to do take
0: it. So somebody had to tell him. You know? Yeah. I wonder what the conversation <laughs> was like before he came in. We're like, all right, look, who's going to, yeah. who's <laughs> telling this guy that, that he's an idiot? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs>
1: We'll download Thursday after NASCAR America at 5.30 Eastern. Meantime, Kyle Petty has made his way over to the NBCSN iRacing simulator. Are you breathing over there? Okay, that's a side smile. Who knows what's going to happen next? We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. For more on Bristol, we let Kyle Petty get behind the wheel here in the simulator. Kyle, take it away.
6: Yeah, that might've been a mistake. Did you see that one car go by me? It looked like the Bush's Bean car. It was a white car. Just thought I'd throw that out there. All right, here we go. Getting up to speed on the back set. You gotta stay under that line. Um, Here's the funny part about Bristol for me, driving this thing, is this is not a groove that I would've ever run in the years I run. We used to run right on the bottom because I drove so many years ago, they didn't have the gear rule, so you could run whatever gear you want. Now these guys, they get down here, whoop, that's me sliding up into him. Oh, slide job. there go. there's a slide job, there you go. Help me out there, Jeff. Now these guys <laughs> run up here to keep the car wound up and they get up next to the wall and you see them, they don't hit it as much as that. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Oh, I'm hitting it down, oh, there, wait a minute. We're gonna have to reset. Back her down, one. back her down, back her down. Hey, nice
5: save. Put well, it
6: almost. Put it out, Jeff, put it out. Karen, where's parker <laughs> where is parker when you need him here we go i'm going again sorry I, I know we don't have enough time in this segment this should have been an hour segment um, so here i go but it, bristol is so and you saw when you get when you see guys get it when it gets away from them it's a self cleaning track almost and everything goes down to the inside that's why we see these wrecks down the front stretch end up next to the inside wall these guys now, though, are floating it off in the corner. They run way up next to the wall, pick up the gas, throttle along, keep this thing wound up, and it carries that momentum in that outer groove. We see it all the time. I don't, I'm not used to, my dad ran up here when it was an asphalt track. Handsome Harry Gantt ran up here when it was an asphalt track. Um, but when they went to concrete, it went back to the bottom of the racetrack. And when it went back to the bottom of the racetrack, it's really tough for me. To try to figure out the simulator, I'm going to show you something else here. This is a funny thing about this racetrack, Jeff. You can save me anytime you want to. Dang, they <laughs> wrecked again! What happened that time? I didn't even know. Oh. Well, oh, somebody Kyle, me. what
5: you just did right there, we'll see Saturday night. Yes. And, and you know, that's that's the, the simulators are hard. I can't I can't drive those things. Those things are so hard for me to drive. You and I are too old for those things. But you know, what's so interesting to me about Bristol is how the track changes. <laughs> you know, since you talked about moving the, gro- the groove now. It's back to the top, and they're putting the PJ1 on the bottom like they've done the last several races to, to try to make the bottom equal to the top, and that's changed the racetrack. The racing's been better since they did that. I think the last race was the best application of that. We saw it change during the race, and we saw really good cars lead a lot of laps early, but none of them won. And some of that is just because
6: of changing conditions. Can, can, that's what I need, I need some PJ1, somebody put some PJ1 in the simulator. I'm gonna show you one other thing. This thing is, this place is under under green, under green you come in and you come down and it's two pit roads. I can't even get this thing on pit road, Carolyn. Save me Carolyn, I'm gonna throw this back to you because here's the thing, I'm on my way to the Enfield Care Center, I'm just gonna drive my car there and have a psychiatric evaluation, okay? I'm I'm gone.
1: Hey, um, you need some PJ one? Do you need some WD forty? Because that thing's making more noise than I've ever heard when Parker Kligerman drives it. Get out of there, please. Uh, coming up next, we are going to continue our look at the Bristol. Stick with us.
0: NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for twenty thousand miles.
1: All right, let's end the show with one of Jeff Burton's favorite moments from Bristol. It's a good memory, huh, Jeff?
5: This is Bristol. This is what it's all about. I'm mad at you. And boom. You know, that's Bristol, that emotion. We see helmets thrown. We see people getting mad at each other. And it's just, it's so infuriating. You know what I mean? You get run into and get wrecked and... You just get mad and you want to throw something.
1: We should We should clarify, that wasn't Jeff. No. <laughs> yeah, that was more. Same, yeah. same family. Same family. Same That's family. That's good. Uh, a little brotherly love there. That's going to do it for us tomorrow. Another edition of Wednesdays with Dale Jr., uh, the guy who coined the phrase, it's Bristol, baby. Full show with Jr. That's at 5 p.m. We will see you then.